Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 326. Today is May 23rd, 2021. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder, money manager, at investablewealth.com. Well, in today's episode, I'm going to give you an extremely brief market update, and then I want to get in and drill down as to why this market is not going to fall apart, or at least I don't think it is. Remember, I can't predict the future. But just like I can look at the weather and the clouds and the way things are in the atmosphere and I can come up with some forecasts, I can do the same thing with the stock market. And I don't see things falling apart, particularly from the big concern of late, which has been inflation. I don't think that's going to kill the market. And the main reason is what I'm going to talk about today is it won't kill the market because the Federal Reserve is not going to let this rally in 2021 fall apart. Not now anyways. Maybe when we get into fourth quarter, things could change. But for right now, the Federal Reserve is fully supporting this stock market rally. And I see that as continuing. Okay, so as far as the overall market update, this is going to be so brief, it's pretty much non-existent. The market is fine. All the major indicators and where the indexes are in terms of their short-term moving average and how they're performing over, say, a 10- or a 20-day moving average, they all look good. And if you look at the fear or the inflation indicators, they look fine as well. The 10-year Treasury is not at all out of line. Of course, it's risen over the last six to eight months, but that's not an indication of runaway inflation. That's an indication that the stock market and the economy are coming off of life support. The 10-year Treasury, for all the talk about runaway inflation, you know what? Over the last eight or 10 weeks, the 10-year Treasury has pretty much been relatively flat. And if not flat, certainly trading in a very tight range. And that tight range is still more than 20 basis points or more below the overall 200-day moving average. And so that means that the 10-year Treasury, which right now is sitting at about 1.63, somewhere around there, it could go up another oh, more than 25 basis points. That would be more than, say, 15% increase in nominal rates. And that would just put the 10-year Treasury at its 200-day moving average. And you know what? When it gets there, because there's no doubt in my mind that it will rise up to that level and beyond, but you know what? When it gets up to the 200-day moving average, I doubt the economy is going to fall apart because when it gets there, when it gets up to around one8 That'll still be one of the lowest points that the 10-year Treasury has been in modern history. So we're not talking crisis interest rate levels here. Back at the end of 2019, before the whole COVID hysteria, when the market was doing just fine, interest rates then were at about 1.9. Go back the year before that, towards the end of 2018, when things were going just fine in the economy, interest rates peaked at about 32 that's about twice what they are today. So whenever you hear people saying that interest rates are going to get out of hand and inflation's going to go crazy, just know and remember that the 10-year Treasury could double from where it is today, and it would only put us back to about where we were in, I don't know, October, November of 2018, somewhere around there. This talk about runaway inflation is simply talk. And what I'm mentioning about the 10-year Treasury is also indicative of things like gold and other measures of inflation. Gold has recently been rising, but we're still below the levels that gold reached over the summer during the the peak of the reopening hysteria over COVID-19. 
And even more importantly than that, the price of gold today is still below where it was during the peak back in 2011. That's a decade ago, and gold is still not back up to those levels. Go look at a chart, and you will see that the price of gold has just barely broken out above its 200-day moving average. Now, I'm not saying that gold can't go higher. I'm simply saying that it can go higher and not be an indicator of rampant runaway inflation. I think that the rise in gold, more than anything, can be directly correlated to a meltdown in crypto and in Bitcoin specifically, where you've seen people fleeing the digital assets and bringing some of that fear premium back over into gold. Gold has definitely suffered as crypto and specifically Bitcoin have gotten more popular. And as we've seen that meltdown in Bitcoin, you've seen an increase in the price of gold. But I'm not worried about runaway inflation because all the commodity prices look like they've already peaked. Copper, timber, iron ore, cement, within the last uh, week to three weeks, you've pretty much have seen a top in all those commodities. And because right now what we're facing is shortages and not scarcity, I think those are likely the tops for the commodities. And although I don't expect prices to drastically decline, I don't see any hyperinflation from here. The world is still awash in raw materials and in excess factory capacity. There's too much free money floating around and interest rates are still too low. And on top of that, there's a huge amount of pent-up demand some of it artificial that was brought about by the shutdowns, but other elements of the demand are organic and natural. For example, the demand for housing right now in the United States is only partially being driven by the shutdowns from COVID last year. A great deal of the demand right now for housing in the United States is organically driven, and it's driven because millennials are forming households and it's simply the continuation of a demographic trend, and it's not going to abate over the summer or in the next five months or so. It's a trend that could likely go on for the next three to five, maybe even ten years. The millennials need housing, and because there's been a huge curtailment of houses that were built since the financial crisis of 2008, there simply is much more millennial demand for housing than housing that is available on the market or housing that can be quickly built. So that inflation and the price of housing, it would have happened with or without the Federal Reserve artificially manipulating the market interest rate. So that imbalance of supply and demand in the current housing market is real, and it's likely long-lasting. But other imbalances are artificial. And they're as a direct result of the shutdown that we saw in the United States as well as globally because of COVID-19. And those imbalances will eventually work their way through the system and they'll go away. And they won't result in hyperinflation. It will be transitory price increases. And that's because it's the difference between scarcity and shortage. And the easiest way to illustrate this is to talk about lumber and timber prices. But what I'm saying could be true of all the other commodities or semiconductors or any of the other things that you hear that we're currently in shortage of. Yeah, we're in shortage of it, but it's not a long-term scarcity. The shortage is because we have a bottleneck in the, either the manufacturing or the distribution of that product. It's not an underlying intrinsic scarcity of the raw material itself. So for example, lumber and other type of building products 
Right now, there is no shortage in the United States, and particularly no shortage in North America, of timber. There's plenty of trees out there. And if you own woodlands, you know that. You know that the price of timber did not see exponential price increases like the price of lumber. And that's because there's plenty of trees. There's plenty of raw wood. The reason that the price has spiked so drastically in lumber is because of the bottleneck that's occurred at the sawmills or at the processing plants where they make the two by fours or where they make the plywood. And then from there, there are other transportation disruptions along with this supply chain. But we've seen high increases in lumber prices because of those manufacturing bottlenecks, not because there's a lack or there's a shortage or there's some kind of a scarcity of the underlying natural resource of the trees and the timber. There's plenty of that. And so that's why we're not going to have runaway inflation. Things will adjust. They'll stabilize. The Federal Reserve knows that. That's why they're talking about transient price increases and transient inflation. Now, they may be wrong. It may last three months or six months or 18 months. I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt that they can pinpoint with accuracy how long we're going to see this transient price increases. But I do believe that they're accurate when they talk about it being transient, meaning that it will go away and that it's not an intrinsic threat to the economy. And because of that, they're not going to take the punch bowl away from this 2021 stock market rally by raising interest rates or by cutting back on their easy monetary policies. They want easy money. They want interest rates low. They want people to continue to go out and buy consumer products. And they want companies to be able to continue to buy and refinance their debt at lower levels to keep this economy moving because the Federal Reserve knows that once we get through this hump of transitory inflation and everything gets back to the way it was pre-COVID, that we're not going to be seeing huge growths in the economy. If you go back over the last 20 years, and certainly go back at least over the last 12 years to the financial crisis, the United States economy, the GDP, has been growing at anemic levels. That's why, despite all the money printing and all the easy monetary policies, they have been unable to consistently inflate the economy by 2%. And it's much worse in other parts of the world, other developed parts of the world, like Japan or all over Europe. And so when things get back to normal after COVID, we're going to still be in those limited and stunted and anemic type economies that we were prior to COVID. And so the whole fear of hyperinflation and the fear that the Federal Reserve is going to come in and jack up interest rates to tame that inflation, I think is irrational and wrong. And while I can't predict the future, I can remember the past. And if you'll go back to episode 276, that was a very similar time back then in the fall of 2018. But what I talked about back in that episode were reasons that I had optimism and why I didn't believe contrary to the popular media belief at the time, that we were headed into an unstoppable recession. Back then, if you remember back in late 2018, the panic all over the media was the inverted yield curve. And you heard all the pundits talking about an inverted yield curve was 100% indicative that we were headed into a, re into a recession. Well, it didn't happen. And my argument back then was that the inverted yield curve was occurring simply because of a policy decision from the Federal Reserve, and they could change that policy on a dime. 
and we did not see a recession that occurred because of an inverted yield curve, because the Federal Reserve simply changed their policy, which changed the direction of the yield curve. I talked about those things in episode 276. It's worth going back and listening to it, because now you can listen to it in 2020 hindsight and apply that same reasoning to where we are today. And you'll probably also notice that all the talking heads from back in October of 2018 that were wetting the bed about the inverted yield curve are right now panicking and wetting the bed again, but it's for exactly the opposite reason. Now they're worried that the yield curve has such a sharp spread to it, which is totally asinine if you think about it. If they were so worried two and a half years ago that the curve was inverted, then they should be ecstatic today. The steep yield curve that we're seeing right now is fantastic for the reopening portion of the economy. That's why you've seen energy stocks and banking financial stocks and materials and commodity type stocks. That's why they've done so well over the last six months or so and why I think they'll probably continue to do well probably at least through you know the summer, maybe even getting into the fall months. Even if that curve starts to flatten, we're still so far from the inversion of it that I just don't even see a Fed-deuced recession in 2021 being possible. Right now, if the Federal Reserve raised interest rates or cut back on easy money that was making it possible for all the millennials to be buying houses right now, that would be a stupid policy decision. Because not only would it crash the housing market and have a carryover effect where it would crash the stock market, but it also wouldn't improve the overall housing supply situation. Like I talked about earlier, the housing shortage is real. It's based on a real supply-demand mismatch between millennials needing single-family homes and those homes not being available on the market. It's not simply an asset bubble that has occurred because lending policies are too lenient or interest rates are too low. I'm not saying that that doesn't have some impact on it, but that's not the sole source of the increase in housing prices. And so if the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, that will actually make things worse because builders and developers won't be able to finance the construction of new single-family homes. And so the imbalance will get even worse and prices will continue to rise. The other reason that I can be fairly confident that over the short term, the Federal Reserve is not going to take away the punch bowl and they're not going to raise rates and they're not going to get rid of the easy monetary supply is because of the headwind to the economy over the Biden administration's tax and regulatory policies. Biden is likely going to raise corporate taxes by at least 8% and then will be further limiting a lot of the regulatory burdens that the Trump administration got rid of those are hidden taxes. And so when you combine those hidden taxes with the real tax increases, that is a headwind to the economy. And what's kind of funny about this, if you go back, I think it was two weeks ago, the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who used to be the former Federal Reserve Chairwoman, she made a hilariously funny comment that totally pulled down the markets that day. I think it was towards the end of the business day on um, Thursday, maybe two weeks ago. She was giving a speech. She said that higher corporate taxes and stronger labor unions were good for the economy. She said that with a straight face. The market didn't take that as being very funny. 
Now, I'm not going to argue the policies one way or the other because I have no impact on them. But I just look at the reality of the situation, and I assume that this administration is going to go in that direction of higher taxes and more regulation. And the Federal Reserve knows that, they're conscious of it, and that's one more reason why they are not going to jack up rates to squelch this economy because of the COVID reopening, because they know on the other side of the reopening, we're going to go back to overcapacity, lower worker productivity, and anemic growth across the developed nations. So for those reasons and many more, I remain optimistic through this summer and probably into the fall months. I'm holding fast and continuing to reinvest in my reopening stocks. And right now that's a conglomeration of, I don't know, 137, maybe 138 different stocks. There's broad diversification there, but they do tend to be concentrated in certain sectors, energy sector, material sector, financial sector and broadly across the service sectors. I think the service sectors are going to be the real highlight to the reopening of this economy. So that's everything from Lyft at Six Flags to small companies that you've never heard of that make products for the airlines and aerospace and for the medical industry. There are still a lot of opportunities out there. If you haven't watched it, I'd encourage you to go back to that video I did a couple weeks ago where I talked about 12 medical stocks that I think will be favored as the economy continues to reopen because they're not part of that whole medical industrial complex with vaccines and COVID, but they're companies that have a great deal of product and services focused on elective medical procedures. Think of all the people that have postponed their visits to the doctor or the dentist, or they've put off different types of elective or more minor medical procedures because they've been sheltered or had to stay in over COVID. Go try and get an appointment at your dentist or your doctor and see how hard it is to get in. I think that market is greatly undervalued. Many of those stocks have already done extremely well over the last five or six months, but I think that's a market that is still significantly undervalued, and I continue to add to my positions in those stocks. Well, hey, as always, thanks for listening. Until the next episode, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.